All right, guys, on this episode of the Trade Busters podcast, uh, we're going to have another roundtable. This time, we're going to be talking about uh, some questions that came up in the group and in the Discord group related specifically to earn uh, regarding overnight risk, hedging, you know, black swan risk, buying wings. Uh, but I think these episodes, sorry, these topics, you know, can kind of apply to really uh, any strategies. So, you know, there's been a lot of questions uh, in the group. You know, everyone, you know, the mechanics, as simple as we want to make them to be, there's always kind of things that come up, little nuances. And uh, I realized that sometimes it's kind of easier maybe just to have a discussion um, and kind of talk it through. So I have with me today, Amy and Carlo from the Discord group. Um, we have a few other members who may chime up with some questions later on, but I figured it'll be a time to kind of just dive into things, uh, let you guys maybe ask your questions and give your thoughts. I'll kind of weigh in and we'll just kind of bounce ideas back and forth. And I think that kind of discourse uh, may kind of at least give some more insight uh, to other people who are listening uh, and easier than just um, trying to answer everyone's questions in the group. Um, and sometimes, you know, just kind of talking to myself as an echo chamber, maybe there's not enough perspective. So um, Amy and Carlo, you know, thanks for joining me. Um, I guess, let, do you want to talk about the uh, the overnight risk first or or the wings? Um, which one's kind of uh, top of mind right now for you? Hey, David, can I start? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, the, the reason I wanted to join this was I wanted to get a clear understanding of how exactly, let me take a step back. I think the primary concern of most of the people trading earn is the black swan. Um, whether we would like to be able to stop out during regular trading hours or outside trading hours, <clears throat> I guess we'll get into that. What um, was key to me was last week, there was a brief discussion on the vibranium shield and uh, how it could be used to, to, to hedge the black swan and earn. And I was involved in that conversation for a little bit. I had seriously considered trying to implement it again because that is the one thing that scares me about the earn trade, which is why for my mechanics, I tend to purchase 15 cent wings on the put side um, just to close the gap a little bit more. But then when the vibranium, vibranium shield conversation happened, <clears throat> I said, hey, this is good. This might be a way to just you know, help me sleep better at night, maybe increase the sizing to pay for the drag. But then you had mentioned something that kind of put the, put the brakes on that. So for the most part, a one to 2% drop in the market at these VIX levels basically blows through our spreads. Is that correct? Not completely. It's going to touch your short strike. But for me, for instance, my long strike is 10% further out of the money. So you're going to need a 12% drop to blow through the spread if you're talking okay. about a complete blow through. Okay. So because I had mentioned on the Discord something like, uh, okay, with my wings being 15 cents uh, closer, uh, I think it was Special Kami or I forget who he was, but basically said something like, a one to two percent drop would basically put me at max loss because it would uh, blow through the short strike, but like you said, not really touch the long. And then you chimed in by saying, "Well, vibranium shield wouldn't really protect you at that point because they only start printing at a ten percent down move." 
Do you recall that conversation? Yes, but I want to point out, I don't think the 1% or 2% drop is going to put you at max loss. It's going to be that 1% plus whatever additional distance your wing is, right? So the point of the wing for earn, it's not to, you know, it's to cap the risk. It's not going to reduce risk. Well, it's going to reduce it over, you know, some theoretical 20%, whatever, 30%, right? It's going to define the risk. But... And we'll touch on Vibranium Shield in a bit. But Vibranium Shield, that's more to like possibly even completely mitigate risk. So that's that's a whole different topic. So that's, yeah, so sorry to interrupt, but that's what I was, and maybe I was just not understanding the, the nuances of the conversation because I was, uh, you know, away then. But my thinking was the chances of the market gapping two to five percent are obviously greater than waking up one day of the gap, the market gapping ten percent. Sure, you had men you had mentioned that it would work if it was a situation where the where the market gapped down two or three days successively, culminating in a ten or twelve percent drawdown, um, or ten to twelve percent gap. That's obviously assuming that uh, someone held through the two or three day uh, downdraft. And not closed out the uh, the vibranium shield on the first or the second day, right? So, so that's the reason why I decided maybe not to implement vibranium because it would be a, it would be too much of a drag for something that occurred so rarely <clears throat> versus a two to five percent gap. So the I jumped onto this uh, Zoom meeting because I wanted to see if there was a way we could. Uh, figure out a way to maybe hedge not the 10 to 12%, but even the five, six, 7% gaps, because that would tend to happen more often. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'll say right off the bat, we may not get to that on this because that was not necessarily the point of this call. So, but, but hold that thought and let's get through a couple of the main topics first. The first one is just the overnight risk. Look, this trade, the way it was tested and conceived, basically, was accounting for the overnight risk. Now, back in the day when I first started, this is kind of before Earn 1.0, it was just selling five delta puts. And the win rate was very high. Um, and you know there were gaps that went past the 2x. You can see some of the logs from 2021, maybe, or 2020. There was like a 10x loss, for instance. But generally, in the historical results, even the major gaps, you don't you rarely see anything over like a five, six, seven, eight X. Now that's not to say it can't happen, but let's just put that in context. So if you tr start doing, you know, there's talks about using ES and having either using ES so you can stop out or SPX and having the overnight stops trigger. The concerns are, it's, it, it's we don't have a test for that. So the results, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine it's going to be that different. But we just haven't tested it. And you guys know I don't really run anything that I haven't tested thoroughly. And then there's a you know issues of slippage, right? And some people say, yes, it's pretty good, you know, and maybe sometimes it is pretty good. But the for me, what I would think about is like if something crazy happens and you get stopped out overnight on a bad spread, right? You could lose more than your 2x, 3x, whatever it is, right? What if you just get built out like a 10x or whatever? And you're not, you can't even be there to like necessarily, I don't even know if you can bust these or what and how that works, but like, you're not there. Like if you're sleeping, 
you might just wake up to something crazy, right? So honestly, like I'm actually more worried about what's going to happen in terms of a bad fill outside of regular hours than necessarily um, just the you know normal what I've seen so far, you know, running this trade. Because again, you know, people worry about a let's not even talk about a, a black swan. We're just talking about gapping past the stop, right? Your your two x stop or whatever it is, the four x. Um, it just hasn't happened that often, right? And I've I've back tested it. I've traded live for a number of years, and so far, what I've experienced anecdotally, to me, has not warranted the need for overnight stops or using ES, you know. Uh, so that's kind of my where I weigh in on that. I, Amy, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Like, does that kind of I don't know if that changed anything, or if that's basically the same thing I've been saying in the groups up until now, as far as uh, so. Yeah, I, I that was I think one of the two subjects I saw, and it's come up a few times, and I know that people have access to stopping overnight on SBX or using ES. And I guess my thought, just after reading some of the thoughtful comments about it, was that, you know, it's probably similar, but yeah, I mean, they're looking back through charts. There have been times, especially in the big drops, there have been times that things happen in ES overnight, and that's a risk too, is having a stop there and something, you know, yeah, like an illiquid part of the night, you know, and and then also that I... I mean, I don't know how much of it is, but I would assume that some of the volatility premium that we're getting for, you know, the overnight is, is part of that overnight risk. So I, I would think that a stop overnight probably happens, maybe it's a small amount, but happens more often. Yeah. And, and again, go ahead. Yeah, I just had a question, and uh, I apologize if it's a basic question. Uh, when you're talking about stops, if you, you're, let's say you said five x, if you sold your call for a dollar and using the seven eleven method, your stops at eleven. Are you referring to a, a stop at fifty five? So I was just throwing numbers out there. What I just meant generally, whatever you intended to be five x, seven x, whatever it is. So if you're if you got two dollars and you're trying to stop out for fourteen, which is a seven x, you know that's your intended level, right? So overnight, I've seen occasionally stops like we had one the other day on Friday, right? Where I think it ended up being like a ten x, so like a few dollars over. Um, yeah. But again, that hasn't. I mean, even this year, I don't think I can. I can skim my log. Now, I don't really think there has been anything like that this year. Granted, this year is, well, uh, oh, it's, okay. a, it's a one-way market, but then again, we have calls as well. So. <laughs> so, so when you're saying 5X, 2X, 3X, it's off the sell pri sale price, not the stop level. Yes, that, that's right. I'm, I'm just referring okay. to you, you have some multiple and that's your intended uh, you know, stop multiple. And people are afraid that you will get stopped at a gap beyond that. And I've always said, that's fine. Like that is part of the test. 
And if you want to know, like, how often does that happen? Go run a test. You can go run a test. You can map out the stop levels and you can graph how many. I used to have one on here, but it got outdated. So I took it down. Maybe I'll put another one. You can graph out the samples of how many times the stops were. In fact, you can just put a histogram of the stop levels and you'll see a bunch yeah. of them cluster at the intended amount and a few spikes above. Right. And literally in 10 yeah. years, I counted on my hand, two hands, the number of times it went past, you know. Yeah, and for people that don't know, I know an option Omega, you have to make it visible, but they have a max loss um, that you can show. So you could skim through the test and see how many times it opened past your the 6, 6 or 10x just by looking at the column. You yeah. Can see it. And, and I was like anecdotally, like the data is the data. If you see a test with 10 years, which is you know thousands of trades, and it has 12 times that it that past, and you still think this is, you know, you're still afraid of that, then this, this strategy is not for you. That's all I can say, you know? Um, yeah, I think that was my, I think that was my, uh, that was the part that I wasn't getting through the uh, exchanges was when, when someone said 5X, if I sold a call for a dollar and my stop was at $11 using mm -hmm. the 7-Eleven method, it would be 5x11. That was my thinking. No, not no, 5X. no. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would say I saw at most your target 11, you might have seen like, I don't know, 20, for instance, right? Not like 55. Right. I mean, I know Special mentioned a 55x, but I don't know the exact situation. Maybe that was a different test. I don't Maybe. And also, that was maybe longer DT. I mean, we, we can look at the specifics of that. Um, but one right. thing that changed for me was also running earn again, was because with the advent of daily expirations right you can do daily trades as a, it, it used to be two or three dte right monday wednesday was two dte fridays was three dte so i i would always guess these ones were like you wouldn't lose on so on a monday to wednesday trade you would end up close to the money on a tuesday without stopping out and then you have a gap risk that's much closer but even then when i was running the two to three dte again my my highest was on the put side, it was like an 8X or something like that. Now, I, I don't remember back then it was a 5 Delta or a 15 Delta, probably a 5 Delta. And like, again, part of what scared me back then and made me stop was because I used to sell the 5, the 5 Delta, which is much wingier, right. right? So much more wingy entry, right? 15 Delta, and I've always said the higher Delta lets you use a lot less leverage, a lot less notional. So I'm just generally more comfortable because the sizing, you can be smaller in the first place. So part of the reason I kind of started deploying the earn again was because realizing that a higher delta could still have a very high expectancy, high PCR, and use a lot less leverage. Um, right. But for, th right. for those reasons, I kind of, I'm okay with the overnight risk. Okay. All right. So I, I guess now that I've, I've had you define what those X losses were, it was like, when was that? What was that the time when we woke up and the market was down 40 points on the ES? Yeah, that was like Friday. So if you look at the live trade log, um, I'm looking here. So it some it's a little weird because you will see the PL multiple is only five dollars because I'm I'm comparing to the whole strangle. That's the way my log works. But if you look at the July 5th entry, I collected a dollar ninety-five for the put and I closed it for twenty-two dollars for so just the put alone. That was a closing price of 11.5x versus the anticipated 7x. So 
it's you know right. four multiples right. higher but it's not like seven times five which is like 35 or for instance you know does that make sense right right yeah and that disconnect so now that i realize that what what the x is based off of uh it makes even more sense now how for me at least vibranium shield would uh wouldn't work because if we got let's say i'm just i'm just uh, thinking off the top of my head here if we had closed that woken up and the, the thing closed at like 30 or 40 instead of the you, you said you stopped at 20 on that day yeah something like that right um so if we had 30 or 40 how much of a gap would that have been on the uh, on the es I don't know, like a 50 point, like less, still less than 2%, right? It's still very right. little, right? Right. So, it, so it would have to, big. right. So it would really have to just drop tremendously for a vibranium shield to actually be helping out. And I guess it just goes back to, to the original risk management controls, which is the sizing in relation to your net lick. Yes. Yeah. But, but that gets into the wings. So Amy, are you, are you trading this? I, f I forget. Um, you drew like a one lot on, on SPY? No, I'm actually doing... Um, um, sorry, brain, brain blank. <laughs> M-E-S-E-S-S-E-X-S-T-Y. Um, -S -S I'm, I'm, I'm doing four contracts of SPY every okay. day, which is like what half or almost half of like ES kind of thing. And that means that... You know, the lowest you um, can buy, what, are you doing like a penny wing? I can, and I have done that some days. I mean, I know SPY has different considerations because, in a you know, there's assignment stuff. But um, uh, some days when it's been really far out, I've bought a two wing. But for me, you know, the fees and the, the wing fees are kind of a little yeah. bigger chunk. So, so. I guess this, but it is, it's this, I've looked at SPX and SPY at the same time. And it's about the same, like a point, a penny wing is about the same percent out as like a, like a dime. Probably. Wing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So I, I guess for you, so basically you're, you're going even closer in like then than I would, right? A nickel wing is really far. I do dime yeah. sometimes. I do 15 cents, but you're probably closer in than 10% out of the money. So let's, so, so yeah. I want to like kind of set the stage before right i was just flat out trading naked so right that's that's something right so if you if you trade a naked then a lot of that risk is kind of like theoretical it's like 20 percent. is there 30 percent? and like we talk about these things but honestly like in terms of gaps no there hasn't i don't think there's been a, a gap of 20 percent. Like, i know like black monday or whatever it was it dropped 20 some percent you know gap plus intraday but as far as a gap, no, I don't think there's ever been a gap that big. Now, having said that, obviously, you know, what the reason why I liked it was because, and, and this is a phenomenon that basically was introduced with like the, the you know, zero DTE. We've said the reason we can leverage quote unquote safely with zero DTE is because you can buy wings very close to the money yeah. for that nickel. You yeah. can get a cheap wing that let you access a humongous product very cheaply yeah. super capital efficient now back in the two to three dt days that wasn't necessarily the case a nickel wing at two dt like if we look now you know today is um thursday well okay if on wednesday you look for a wing for friday it's gonna be way more out there 
right? So the, the fact that we had the advent of dailies, the one DTE, that almost puts it in the realm of zero DTE in terms of, of that capital efficiency. And we can see that mm -hmm. nowadays with the fact that we can get a nickel wing when VIX is low for about 10% out of the money. So you have to understand that. I, when I conceive of the strategy, I'm coming from a place of no wings, completely naked to, oh, I can buy a something that limits my risk to 10% of notional for a nickel, okay? So for me, I'm coming from the other direction. of I'm going from no risk management to, hey, I can define this now for something really cheap. So that in and of itself was already a big step up for me. And that's why, like, I don't know if, I don't want to seem like kind of cavalier about the wing width, but remember, I was coming from trading naked on a super winging five delta to, hey, 15 delta to 10% out of the money. Very defined. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to trade it at 1x notional anyway on the put side, and now my risk is 10%. Okay, on the biggest black swan you can ever imagine, 10%. That's my risk. Like, that was, that really already tightened things up. So that's why I'm generally okay with the nickel or 10% out of the money however after people started talking about like the dimes and the 15 cents the 50 wide 100 wide i kind of eyeballed it so i'm, I'm gonna just kind of give an example right now for instance uh today is july 13th 2023 i'm looking at the july 14th now it's not the end of the day yet but a a nickel wing right now is the the closest one is at 39.80 on the spx and then if the closest you can buy for a dime is at 4150. So you're getting 170 points closer in. Now 170 over the index value, 4505. You're getting like uh wow, 3%, 3.7%. So you're getting 100 point uh what whatever I said, 150 or however many points or 3.7% less risk for a nickel more, right? From five to ten cents. It, it, it maybe it's worth doing some kind of studies on like kind of the value prop, right? And we know, okay, on the one extreme, if you never expect to have to use this, the black swan's never going to happen. Anything you spend is just money down the drain, right? So that that's kind of the one extreme. The first nickel you spend at least brings your buying power. It really increases the capital efficiency. Anything above that, it's almost like, how much more value are you getting, right? And actually, I just I saw Mark send a message. Maybe Mark can chime in. He said, worth it to buy the expensive wings. So um, I'm actually telling you that, like, I, I haven't done it yet, but I've thought about, hey, look, for every nickel, you can look at how much more protection you can buy. Now, that's true. Like, if, like, okay, five cents buys me 150 points, right? So many percent. Ten, five more cents buys another so many percent. There may be some kind of inflection where if we kind of model out the risk, like, hey, maybe it's worth it. Um, but there's still in the back of my mind, like, hey, if 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 I never expect that gap, like, what if you you spend twenty cents all the time to get yourself, I don't know, within five percent, right? And then the worst gap we ever have is five percent, right? <laughs> it just drops to the wing. So basically, as long as it never passes the wing, that wing was never worth it, you know. So, anyways, um, why don't um, Mark? I'm going to unmute you, see if you wanna chime in real quick on that uh what are your thoughts based on i mean my biggest thing with the wing is basically 
like if we think options are accurately priced, being our 15 delta, our wing, or whatever, so such, once we start to get, you know, past the two or three delta, the market maker has to basically make up an implied volatility for that strike to justify yes. the cost of like five or 10 cents. Yes, that's so true. if there ever was a gap and we were to get stopped out or X, Y, and Z, we're actually buying an option that's not priced correctly when we buy a zero five option because they're justifying it with some wildly, you know, inaccurate right. volatility. Correct. So cap, you know, I understand it costs five bucks or whatever, but like, if we really want to like think and do a study, it's like, okay, let's say we're spending five bucks more a day on a thousand and we get potentially one more percent. Well, like you're also, if a gap ever happens and like, let's say that gap happened, you know, we get out of some type of notional stop that long wing is potentially actually going to have, you know, a value that's an order of magnitude higher than a nickel wing. That's, you know, $50 closer out. So like if there's other situations where we get a gap and let's say we take like a 30 X loss or something, well, we're going to be owning that, that long leg. And what if we do get out before, um, you know, we're past our long leg, I would want something with value because 50 points closer on a limit down day, if we got out a 30 X loss could be, you know, decades of positive expectancy back on the earn or something. So if I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, I want to at least make sure my lottery ticket has all six numbers instead of five with buying like a nickel wing. So you're getting into something where can I, I had, uh, yeah, Amy, go ahead. I offer something. Yeah. Because I, th I think that's where the two subjects overlap right there is, do you want that you, do you want to keep paying for that thing? That's going to give you the lotto ticket. Because I agree, I don't think the the, the nickel wing is ever going to convex like that, you know. And uh, so that's that's the choice there. But I don't think that is about the gap. The first subject, which is about the protecting from just the average gaps that gap past the stop a bit, if there's such a thing as an average. <laughs> so here's the thing: I I almost I have always thought of the wing as a passive risk mitigation, I assumed something crazy happens, everything settles in the money, cash settled. So unless it goes past the wing, the wing doesn't do anything. If it goes past the wing, you just, you know, it, your loss is limited to, you know, the width of that spread. But Mark, it sounds like you're saying, you know, with a closer wing, let's say there's a notional stop, right? You get stopped out on your short, whatever it is. Are you hoping that like, you know, there's some continuation and maybe you can actually recoup some loss. I mean, what's kind of your plan or what's your, what's your best case? What's kind of like your goal? So I think that whatever move or moves potentially happen over the long period of time are going to be somewhat regularly distributed. So like, yeah. the chain, like we're twice as likely to see a two and a half percent gap as we are a 5% gap. Sure. So yeah. in those situations where, you know, we're taking a, loss on our earned at the open with a gap, I would like to, you know, know that my long leg is potentially actually going to have some value because I bought it at a cost that was fairly priced. So basically, you know, having that long leg that actually had a, you know, reasonable implied volatility on it, 
I would potentially, you know, that, that holds some value. So like, my opinion is if you buy a nickel wing, you're actually wasting. Yeah, sure. I, I, I get that. You're, you're paying too much implied vol for something that's so far away. Cause it's like I said, they have to price it. So yeah. Right. Whereas over, over the long term, let's say you keep five grand more buying power per day and you buy a 20 cent wing. But I think that over the course of a year or two, that 20 cent wing will at least be break even, but with how fat tails work, it'll probably actually have a positive okay. effect. Got it. Got it. So, Th that's interesting so with a five cent wing you're throwing the money out the window pure, like just pure drag with 20 cent or whatever you're thinking even break even is good it means you didn't lose money on the the uh the wing so see that so that kind of trend of thought i i can kind of uh, get in line with and, and you can and almost you do like a take like two percent less risk or 20 or you know 10 grand less yes, risk yes okay so so that's and this is kind of why it's good to have these kind of more perspectives because that's more interesting to me than just saying, oh, you know, I'm afraid of the law, so I want to get closer because it feels better, right? Like the, the math behind what you said, because actually, you know, we I, I've talked to, you know, when we develop strategies, you know, when we run like multiple strategies, we, we have sometimes said we're okay with the zero expectancy strategy if it's uncorrelated to the other ones and kind of just damages the volatility. Because you get that kind of Shannon's demon effect where like it zigs and zags. And even if that strategy is zero expectancy, it better may sharp. make the book better sharp. Yeah. Exactly. So now the question is, so so now like we can kind of dig into it. You can be like, okay, if I buy the wing this much, how much of a, okay, and based on a 1% win rate and this much convexity, like how much would you have to make to just scratch? So, and I, I guess a question for you, even on a day like Friday, which wasn't that bad. Did, were you able to salvage the wing? Did the wing make money? Did it lose money? Do you remember? Was there anything? Uh, it wasn't a big gap. It was not crazy. But. Yeah. I I mean, you, so like I would hold on to that because in my opinion, if it's a smaller gap, basically like predominant people have positions in the actual market. So like margin calls or whatever, like that sell-off will continue. But I, so I have an ES and SPX. So my ES triggered overnight. I was out, small loss, no problem. And then the SPX, I want to say it opened, I could look it up on Interactive Brokers. I want to say it opened at like 65.70. So it was basically like a 3X. Um, okay. And did you did you close it or did you hold it for a runner and just let it, let it bleed out? Um, I held it for a runner. Okay, cool. And then, and did you have a plan like 10X you would ditch it or were you, were you playing by ear since it was the first kind of spicy open in a while? Uh, uh, what I think is a good mechanic is whatever it opens at, if it touches two standard deviations, that would be my get out. From the previous so like, close? Uh, so, no. So like if it opened and then five move was, let's say, 30 points at the and open. And it was 60. That's 60, I would take it off. Okay. Okay. So that that's more interesting. The, the fact that you think you can play it as a break even at the worst, or maybe at best, I don't know. Or at best, you might even make money. That's that's interesting. So I think that's kind of worth. And I don't know how we can, like, it's it's so hard to test that, you know. So, but but yeah. it, it's something worth thinking about. If, if that's kind of your belief, and and, and just to uh, kind of reword what what Mark said, um, you know, the fact that you can buy these wings at a nickel, there, there has to be a price. And obviously, at some point when you go further out, the probabilities are just so low. It's like so weird. The fact that it even has five cents. 
almost implies it has some super high IV, which is probably untrue because really that thing should be worth, if you look at the chain now, there's like a bunch of them worth a nickel. Well, they can't all be priced the same. So in theory, they should be worth like five cents, four cents, three cents, two cents, one cents, but they're not because the you can't buy in those increments. So the mere fact that there's all these nickels, Mark, you're saying you feel those probably are overpriced and definitely a waste. Is that kind of a... Yeah, the, okay. the zero nickel is guaranteed to be a waste, in my opinion, because okay. it's just, and I think a good way to reflect that is if you were to pull up, I have the chain open right now. So if I pull up the implied vol, basically the first 15, 20 cent has an implied vol of 33%. And then I would say the last really accurate priced option is the five delta, which, um, Delta. Do you have what's the five delta strike, David? Uh, it's like forty four fifty, I guess. Okay, so forty four fifty. Right now, it's eighty five cents. So. Yeah, has a fifteen percent implied vol, and then the first twenty has a basically thirty percent implied vol. Okay, and then the first, and then the first zero ten has a fifty three percent implied vol. This and gets the higher, first, right? Yeah, and the first zero five has seventy percent, well, which is obviously so, not true, right? <laughs> so we're basically looking at like the accuracy of price. So like that five cent option has a implied volatility four times, right, 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 and and roughly twelve times the Athamon. So like I know it has convexity to it, but you're clearly like yeah, no. This makes sense because like a lot of times I, I, I do a strategy and I always say there's a reason behind the mechanics. And, and I kind of explain how I came from the opposite end of I went from naked to a nickel. At least I can cap it at 10% for five cents. Right. So there was like a defined kind of reason. But now, like when you kind of throw more nuance and dig a little deeper, you know, and, and so I like kind of and everything you said, like I knew, but it was just wasn't something I like had thought to uh, apply. You know, so. here's the other thing that I've been potentially thinking about too is in within the last hour i think with how much the gamma moves around and this is a thought thing i think we could get on some type of ratio that if you you leg in would basically be on for zero cost but would still cap your buying power so if you could sell two by three that that's probably too off topic but oh uh, we i got maybe 20 minutes left i, I did want to touch on that because you know um, Carlo talked about vibranium shield and we can talk about like the overhedging, but um, let's just kind of wrap up the, the wing thing here. So I like the direction. So I think it's worth exploring what's right now, like um, the lowest cost you would buy. Are you hanging around that 15, 20 cent range at this moment? Yeah. I mean, I like to cap my notional. So I'm basically saying I don't really want to go wider than um, 25 grand. However, um, which usually looks to be around like the 15 to 20 cent range. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm looking. But now looking at the implied volatility, if I was going to define it, I'd say like really hard stop would basically be three times the implied volatility of the five delta club. Okay. I see. That, that, that's a good kind of 
rule that scales with the market? Because actually, I was, I was about to say, you say now you want to cap it at 25 grand, but VIX is at 13. And so who knows what that's going to be like when VIX is back at something more reasonable. So I, I think the summary here is, um, you know, if we can be smarter about picking that wing, knowing that the pricing, like, like I said, the nickel is definitely mispriced, but the wrong way. So you're overpaying. So if you can get something more fair priced, you may be able to get away with the black swan protection or the defined risk at a quote unquote free cost if you're able to catch some profits to make up for it in the long term, right? Because again, we're not trying to make profit per se. Now, if you make profit, you got lucky, right? So in an ideal case, you get stopped out and then the thing keeps moving and you get like a 10, 20, 30 bagger. You just made up your wings for life, right? But that's just ideal. Best case is more like, hey, you can break even if occasionally on a gap out, you can salvage 3x or two standard deviation move. And you see, hey, you catch a 10 bagger, you know, or 20 bagger, you know, that's going to fund so many days. So like you kind of chip away at that. Um, so so that that's 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 interesting. Um, so the last thing is this idea. Uh, and, and it was kind of incidental because I was talking about vibranium shield and I just got the idea, hey, you know, Vibratium Shield originally was for like a mega gap for like Theta Engine. But if there's a mega gap that blows our urn, like potentially that's also something there. So, Carlo, just, just to answer your question on that, like at the end of the day, I still say like you should trade where you're okay with that max loss for urn specifically. Other trades like Theta Engine or different strategies, that's not necessarily the case. But Earn the way it's structured so far, it has such a nice return on capital that really, you know, if you can think about where a black swan is only going to wipe out a year's worth, half a year's worth, that's a pretty nice trade off without having to worry about, you know, trying to overhedge or whatever. Now, if we can do that nicely and actually get something that mitigates the loss, I mean, that's just kind of icy on the cake. But at the end of the day, if you can at least trade at a size where you're okay with that max loss and you're getting a good return, that's going to just be like a such a more solid foundation, right? But right. having said that, right. that's what I thought about. <clears throat> Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it was, uh, I was, uh, Amy asked me in the chat if I felt like my question was answered and it was. And I was just mentioning to her that, uh, and you know this, David, having been in touch for the last three or four years now. I'm not as mathematically inclined. Oh shit! I just got closed. <laughs> Me too. I'm watching it right now, but oh well. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, I, I've always said that I, I know I'm not as mathematically and as a lot of the people in the Discord. So I tend to think of these things in a more, in a broader concept. So like for what I'm saying, what I mean is, uh, as a businessman, if I can make money. That's great, but I realize there are costs to, to doing business. So I do purchase 15 cent wings, but in a broader scale, if I make a sell a dollar and I have to buy 50 cent wings, thereby I, I just look at it as 50 cents, 50 percent cost of business. So and I'm and I'm and I'm okay with that to just net out 50 cents because my objective is to stay to be able to stay in the game when that black swan happens. Uh, not even from a from a from a net lick standpoint, because I'm trading well below my the the notional is well below my net lick. It's just really from the mindset is where I was uh, is is what's more important to me. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Now, and, and, I, and I know that I tend to downplay that to some degree and just really stick to like, hey, these are the numbers. But, you know, obviously, you know, we're humans. And humans right, have, no, but, and, have, but you mentioned something very, very uh, interesting was, uh, and much to like what Michael said, five, five cent wings you're maybe throwing away. Ten, you reduced your risk X percent. Fifteen, maybe more. Like you said, there is a, I'd be, I'd be interested to find out at what point do the diminishing returns really, really have an effect? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. good question. Because if it's, you know what, if going from five to 10, what was the figure that you mentioned in terms of reducing your risk? Oh, I mean, it was like every, that first extra nickel, that marginal five cents got you like 150 points of more gap protection. And, and I was just, walking the chain. I, I didn't look for to right. see what the next nickel does. Yeah. Right. So interesting to know how much more reduction would from 10 to 15, 15 to 20. I mean, at some point I can imagine that if you went from, let's say 30 to 35, then you're really only protecting yourself another 10, 15 points. Then yeah, in the long run, it wouldn't be worth it, but that would be just interesting to find out at what point the diminishing returns uh, go skews against us such that maybe we stop buying and we might be at these current pixels, we might be uh, surprised to, to know that it might be higher than the 10 or 15 or even 20. Just a thought. Yeah. Hey, Mark, real quick. What are you doing on the call side? I'm guessing the that kind of discussion may not be as, uh, it may not as pertain to the calls per se, because I, I guess we don't expect like a 10% gap to the upside per se. Uh, I mean, I actually think that the call side is more risky of a gap because okay. gap would not be priced in and there's no skew. Right. So, so in, in my opinion, going wide on the call side becomes very um, not astute because like the thing is. But it's like, not that wide to begin with, right? Because I've been getting the nickel for it's like 1% out of the money. So it's really like, what else are you going to, unless you're trying to do like what, 30 cents to do what, half a percent, you know, or what have you been doing or do you not do the call side? Um, I just trade a one lot on the call side because notionally okay. I don't think it's worth it because, for example, like vaccine day or like <laughs> the, the Fed says something dumb, like the call side can um can do something anyways the call side's expectancy is not that good so it's not that like, good yeah it's i i, I it, was like it's something so i'll take it you know it was money just to take because it's not extra yeah power, I, I basically view the call side as a slippage hedge so my real hope for the call side is that after experiencing um like you know basically any slippage on the put side that over the long term the call basically finances you know, gap slippage. Got it. Okay, that 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 makes sense. Um, at, so going back to what Carlos saying about so with vibranium shield, one thing I just want to say is, you know, there's ways where you can think about if you want to. I've always said this: if you actually have some kind of long underlying that you have to hold for whatever reason, it kind of makes more sense to have something like a vibranium shield. But strategies like Earn are generally pretty uncorrelated. They have built in um, you know, risk management. So trying to add vibranium shield almost becomes kind of speculating that there's going to be some big crash. Now, obviously, they do happen, but it can be very long in between. 
And for that, you might just be kind of throwing money away um, for something that never plays out unless we have like another COVID. But again, that's something where you can think about it. But honestly, I think the discussion of the wings being tighter for for two reasons. The fact that it gives you more protection and might be more fair priced. Honestly, I think that's more kind of the selling point for me. So, okay, so I just ran a back test on a 20 cent wing, one DT going back to 2013. So it basically looks like your average, ex- you have no stop loss, just hold into expiry. Your app, you've won twice out of a thousand with your average win being two grand and your max winner being 2,900. So you had a, you basically had a 30 X payoff. Um, so I think to quantify that is basically you, you would have never won on a nickel wing right. in the last. It, so basically your cost is, you know, if you subtract the nickel is basically 10 cents actually for a 20 wing, assuming you never tried to monetize anything. I see. Got it. So, so whatever the capital efficiency is, a 20 cent wing versus a five cent wing basically cost you 10 bucks. So the cost isn't as much as you would think on the face value and you get the capital efficiency and that's with no monetization. So if there yeah. was monetization heuristic, which, and, and that's always a, a slippery slope because they all kind of work in different ways. No crashes are the same. And you can kind of pound the test all day doing 10x, 20x, whatever it is. I think your two sigma thing kind of makes sense. It's just really hard to like really find anything that's like mechanical. But you can imagine like if you if you can monetize it properly, heck, you know, you, you might pull that to a scratch or even positive expectancy. Maybe not that again, not not that that's the, the fact that you can get it close to a scratch that in and of itself is basically like a quote unquote free black swan risk protection, so to speak, free in a sense. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so, so it basically looks like the trade-off from cost to risk. If we assume the difference between a nickel wing and a 20 cent wing is roughly 10 grand mm-hmm. is basically a basis point. Right. Okay. And then, but the, and then the cost is less than the, than the face value. Um, the thing you were saying about the ratio, is that something you've been doing or what would be like a typical, um, like, do you wait for, do you enter the short at one time and then wait for the longs to kind of come in a bit? Is that what you're implying or? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're familiar with Ron Bartino's black swan hedge, you can basically, you know, leg well, in. I, I guess yeah. the idea is if anytime you can leg in, if the price movement's in your favor, you can get something. Yeah, a it, bit it worked. It worked better um, in a longer term. But the my main thing is, I mean, this is just me thinking: is you can get closer with a ratio spread that's let's say cost you twenty cents, and it's going to pay better than some ridiculous teeny. You know what I'm saying? Because right. you're kind of using the skew and such um, within it. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I like earn. I think people should run earn. Obviously, you have to size it conservatively, but the real meat on the bone is like, how do you balance earn with what else you're trading rather than like doing all these back tests on nickel wings to 
yeah. potentially save a one in a decade, 5% return on our portfolio, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. But but I think thinking about coming into like the 20 cent range, I, I, I like I said, I, I want to look at even just the naive test, like you said, just 20 cents and looking at what that true net cost is. <laughs> that would be so funny that the, yeah. the one day you get the 30x, <laughs> that will feel kind of nice, you know, or but it's gonna be yeah. weird when the gap happens. You're like, do, do I hold this? Do I do I close this? <laughs> yeah, and, and personally, I think that ES. I mean, I'm not huge in ES because you can't automate it. But my thing with ES is basically like, I think it's efficient. You're gonna get stopped out more overnight versus whatever's an SPX. So the only conversation to have is around: Do you have a slippage edge in ES versus SPX? And I'm not sure about other platforms, but from my understanding with Toss, there's not really a thing as like a market order in futures because they don't want to potentially exacerbate the market when, you know, everyone's asleep at the wheel. Um, So you're technically, you know, people talk about slippage risk and ES and I was like, well, I don't really think that is applicable. And let's say you do get gapped in ES, you're in the same space you would be with SPX. And also like with SPX, there's still like, a liquidity problem on bid ask right at the open too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, one, and another thing mm-hmm. to consider with ES, and I think this depends on if you're, what platform you're on too, is on toss. The, for me, I did all the spreadsheeting. The fee drag on ES was bigger than on SPY. I, I was surprised by that. Um, this, this is, these are my fees that I have on toss, but um, I, I know that IB is better. But. That's something to consider. I get you. That that makes sense. Hey, Mark, I know you mentioned you kind of what the call side, so you do a one lot, but given that you do it as a small one lot, do you just do the nickel wing on that side or do you come in a little closer on the call side as well? Um, I mean, 510, I kind of do on the call just because I don't think there's any way to justify that type of price. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because um, I was thinking like, Right now, like if I start doing 15, 20 cent wings, you know, and, and lately the credit's been like $2, let's call it 250 right? So that's going up over 8% on the P. Uh, and then so 8% relative to the credit. And so that, you know, that that's a direct deduction to the immediate PCR, which is fine, right? As long as you're not knowing the math, like you hope for that like 10 bagger or something where it kind of justifies. Because again, like even if... um. And, and knock on wood, it, if, if there's never a, like a mega gap, they may all be a waste. Right? So they just be all flushing money down down the toilet. But um, you're almost like not hoping for that crash, but just like hoping that it actually plays out. Like you're not just throwing more money away for no reason, you know. But at that, really, at that point, you just gotta like trust the, the numbers. Funny, the funny thing there, as an insurance guy myself. I, I hope I never use it. Yeah, like yeah, I, exactly. I hope I hope I I hope I never have to call my home insurance company to 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 make a claim and say you know hey I, I would never brag by saying hey I made up all my premiums from my home insurance company because it basically means I lost my home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's on the one hand I do the nickel because like I hope I never have to use it, but Mark's argument is saying like there's a price where it's more fair so that you think over the long term, it actually just pays for itself. Like it's zero expectancy, which is fine because remember, 
it's weird if you were doing it as a trade like okay we weren't doing earn and i'm just gonna buy 20 cent wings and hope for a payout and after 10 years i end up at zero right i lost a bunch and i made a bunch i end up at zero that in isolation seems terrible but if you pair that with the fact that that was protecting earn well, the fact that that thing ended up at zero is great it's great because it didn't cost you anything so theoretically there's some fair value amount where you can buy it don't have any mechanics and it would just kind of come out to a zero drag which is like honestly would be great so uh, this might be the next rabbit hole for us to kind of just like do some tests and like i don't know if, if i see some very simple monetization heuristics actually end up okay i may be tempted to i i know like we will say okay don't monetize and it's going to end up good but if you're sitting there at like a 10 bag it's going to be very tempting not to you know just sit on your hands and not touch that thing so that's the thing we'll have to deal with um doing this so okay. kind of interesting uh, uh david just to go back a little bit i forgot i'm not sure if we came up with a conclusion on the stopping out overnight or outside of regular trading hours, was there consensus that was reached on that? I'm still not that convinced. I, I just don't think it's warranted, especially if the sizing is correct. And I, I think Mark was saying it didn't seem compelling either. Um, Mark, I don't know if you want to put your last two cents on kind of overnight versus non-overnight. You know, yeah, management. I mean, the benefits of ES and SPX are most likely efficient because the market makers on the other side with any like stops or whatever or so such. Uh, however, like the fee drag and then just the lack of like functionality I'm putting it on, you know, I wouldn't waste your time on uh, implementing the ES. One thing I will say is, you know, another potential alternative is kind of, I've been running just non-cash hours to get money and like that trade i think is you know potentially attractive where you just play futures open at 6 p.m to the open of the market because that buying power is never used because it's gone and stopped and you're just isolating one section of of that decay um so that's Close another open, right yeah well futures market Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the night. It's the night owl earn. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that stuff like that, like, so what I've been experimenting with earned is like I'm running, you know, depends on your account size, but I run an SPX on a traditional earned. I'm running just the night with ES and kind of that night owl thing, and then I'm also running, you know, one lots in IWM spy in the queues, and basically like I'm getting you know, a small amount of strategic diversity and it, you know, opens up sizing up before you just have to go from a one lot to a two lot. So that that's another way for, you know, non hedge fund people with $40 million accounts like David to look at as well. And there, there is a lack of correlation between, you know, the Q's IWM and spy, especially as those big seven tech stocks get larger as well. Sure. All right, that and, makes sense. And the volatility risk premium, I only saw the put sides in the queues. The volatility risk premium on the queues is very attractive. And we're looking at like 50% capture um, in the queues hmm. with, selling, with selling the put. Um, so <laughs> that is another um, one to take into account 
Yeah, well. I think I'm sure Mega has cues now. Maybe it's time to do some more, uh, more, some more testing. I can, I can send it to you. I've already vetted it. I've got the strategy. Already. <laughs> all right, that'll be the next episode, the next uh, QQQ roundtable. But uh, all right, guys, <laughs> I gotta run. This has been great, actually. I, I I learned something. I hope you guys all got something out of this. Mark, um, Amy, Carlo, everyone who listened in. You know, thanks for uh, joining in. I'll have this out uh, in probably a couple hours. And uh, all right, I'll see you guys back on the other side. Bye, y'all. Bye. See ya.